Restaurant Unstoppable episode 590 with Jake Maddox. It's up to us if we want to change culture and if you want to like try to be uh, have a positive effect on the industry and the people around you, then you need to give them your best energies. You need to uh, try to put forward and give them the, the best guide that you can be to help them uh, succeed. That's kind of the um, whole idea of uh, like a mentor, you know, basically if I didn't have people that taught me how to write a business plan that helped me along the way, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have realized my dream. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash Unstoppable. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Jake Maddox. My man, Jake, are you feeling unstoppable today? Always, 100%. (laughs) Yes, that's what we like to hear. So hailing from Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and and graduate of Oklahoma University, prior to getting involved in the world of beer and hospitality, Jake Maddox served as a U.S. Marine. Thank you for your service, by the way. Uh, And after his service, Maddox found himself in San Francisco working for one of the most renowned breweries in the world, Anchor Brewing Company. Maddox also spent some time at another great in the industry, New Belgium Brewing Company, before finding his way to Austin. In 2018, Maddox founded the Brewer's Table, where their focus is on community collaboration in creating beer as good as food in food as good as beer. I've heard some really great things about you. I cannot wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Push. Push. What do you mean by that? Always push, man. When things like get you behind, you just push right through it. Always push. Great way to get this thing started. How has pushing helped you? Well, you know, there's no shortage of obstacles that you encounter as you try to start your own business. And especially something like the Brewer's Table, which is um, a different take on the food and beer experience as it's classically sort of done. And uh, and one of the reasons it's difficult or that no one's done it is it's quite difficult to do. Uh, and so it requires perseverance and stubbornness, discipline, and you got to push. Man, I love that. And it's kind of really resonates with me, especially right now, because um, the more I, I surround myself with incredible people like you, the more I realize that um, this industry is, can be very reactive, 
right? We're always reacting to the market and other things on us. But I think if we're going to really see change, we need to act on the rest of the world. We need to push back, right? We need to push. So great way to get this thing started. I like it. And um, take us to where it all started for you. I mean, you went, you were a Marine. Uh, were you in the food and beverage before that? or I am a Marine. You are a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, well, for me, it began when I was in the Marine Corps. I was... Um, in 2002, I was 22 years old, and I was deployed to South America, and I found myself, like most 22-year-olds, drinking a lot of beer. Most Marines, too, drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> and um, I kept a journal of beers I drank in different countries I went to, and I, 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 I didn't think much of it at the time, but on the back page of my journal, I just wrote down beer notes and tasting notes, you know, what was in the beer, where it was from, that kind of stuff. And um, three years later, I, w- I got out of the Marines. I was just finishing college at the same time. And I didn't know what to do with my job, with my life, you know. And I looked at that journal for some inspiration, and I saw, like, all these beers. And I was like, holy shit. Like, beer was what <laughs> uh, I, I was drawn to. But I didn't quite know how to get into it. And um, and luckily, I was still in Oklahoma at the time. And uh, uh, I got a job as an assistant manager at a brew pub in Norman, Oklahoma, called Coach's Brew Pub. Okay. And uh, we timestamp this real quick. When was this? When this was 2005. Okay. Or six, maybe gotcha. five or six. And I was a terrible assistant manager. I got fired. Okay. Um, we can't just skim over that. What happened? Go into detail. What, what was this? Oh, choice? I was just, I was just, I wasn't, I'd never done it before, you know? Okay. And now as a person that employs restaurant managers, I can see exactly why I was fired okay, because so, I just wasn't very good at it. Like, the, So one of the things I like to do in capturing uh, my guests is finding out who they were and who they are now today. So reflect, knowing what you know now, who were you then? What was the picture of non-perfection? Um, impatience, uh, ignorance of the intricacies of the industry okay um and just general i'd say immaturity in a way okay um interesting maybe i'll ask that same question as far as who you are today later but make a mental note of that all right cool so you were here you got some experience you got fired uh what was next well uh after i got fired i realized that if i wanted to make it in this field i needed to get a bit more of a in-depth experience and so I uh, first moved to Taos, New Mexico, and kind of just refocused my entire world and lived in the desert and waited tables, and uh, that was a really good experience. After that, the opportunity came to move to Napa Valley. Uh, we had a family friend who owned a winery in Napa called Nickel and Nickel Winery, okay. and it's a you know, super premium experience, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get offered a job there as a wine educator in uh, Napa City, and uh, I found a roommate on Craigslist when I was there, and uh, it turns out her... Uh, great uncle was Fritz Maytag, who owned at the time Anchor Brewing Company, who's now the I think CEO emeritus. But uh, due to that connection, I got the I got a job at Anchor, uh, which was a gold star on the resume. You know, it's a legendary yeah. brewery, and uh, Mr. Maytag uh, himself hired me, and uh, um, it was a great honor to work for that man and for that company. And then uh, I met a girl. Uh, I was doing a musical at the time. I did a lot of musical theater in okay. the past. And uh, we met in a play together. Uh, we got married, moved to Colorado. And uh, I had a chance to work for New Belgium very briefly before the opportunity came to help that same guy who fired me from coaches <laughs> open, a, open a brewery in Austin. Interesting. Because I, I had reconnected with him a few years later. And, and 
he was like, Jake, what are you doing now? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm working at New Belgium, you know, after I just worked at Anchor. And he was, he's like, oh, Interesting. that little shit that I fired went off to do some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and he invited me to come move to Austin and help open Thirsty Planet Brewery. And I, I helped uh, him and his partner, Mike. Um, I did, I brewed the beer, ran the tap room, delivery, sales, like everything I could possibly do to, to learn the business. And, um, and then three, let's, let's tap the brakes there. Yeah. I want to do, I want to re- reflect cause you've dropped some bombs on us already. Uh, some great places you've been a part of. Uh, I'm curious why was Shots it fired? You know, <laughs> why wine though? Why wine? Because you were so interested in beer. Why, why did you choose to go into wine education in Napa Valley? Because it was the first opportunity that I had to get to California and it was a, it was a great opportunity. Um, I knew if I could just get out there, that like, was your ticket physically, you know, like that would be my, my entry into the, into the world. Okay. And I love the story of just happening to be able to cross paths with a man like Fritz Maytag, uh, founder of anchor brewing, just because your roommate happened to be, uh, the niece of this man. I know. Uh, right. And just give some perspective anchor brewing. I, I know I, I read, um, small giants and he was featured in that book. Um, the the integrity this organization has the the values this organization has i mean it's not just your run of the mill company they could have scaled they could have gotten huge they chose to stay small because they wanted to hang on to what mattered most to them for them that was the relationships it was the quality of life it was being special right it, what so that's what i interpreted from that book what was it like working there being beside the, this man and his coworkers and the people he surrounded himself with it was really special i was so very fortunate that uh, i was able to be a part of that company uh, when he owned it, and since then it's been sold twice after that. So the company's really morphed um, since. But I'm a big student of history, and the special place that Anchor has not only in beer history but American history, and the special place that Steam Beer has in particular in beer culture uh, is is really really influential. And so it got me uh, thinking about things that it would eventually morph into what we have open today. Okay. So what what did it make you think about? What was going on that really influenced you? Um, imagining like a place in time. Uh, in the 1870s, steam beer was the preeminent style of beer on the West Coast. Like every brewery in the West Coast made a steam beer. It's just, it just, it was what everybody drank. And so it got me thinking, you know, when, when uh, what was the finest example of that beer in a place in time? Because, you know, beer is a really special thing that people share that we bond over, that we talk about, that it's just like it breaks down barriers, social lubricant, right? And it's been that way ever since history. Beer is as old as history is, right? And so imagining what the finest brewery was like in 1870-something, making the finest steam beer with the finest weather that you had uh, at the time, a place in time. Imagining what someone like you and me sitting across the table from each other were, were drinking as we talked. And I was just really inspired by that. That's awesome. Yeah. So what else about how to run a business from this man? I mean, you were there when he was still a part of it, so he still had that influence. I know um, that this was a very culture-forward, purpose-forward organization. What did you learn working there? Well, um, I worked in a lot lot of mornings on the keg line downstairs, um, putting empty kegs on the line and taking the full ones off. And that's right where Mr. Maytag would park his car every morning and I, I got to work about six the six to two shift and he was always there right about six thirty in the morning walking through in his nice sweater vest and a paper under his arm and a cup of coffee and every morning i made it a point to say good morning mr maytag you know because uh, i'd be lying if i said i didn't want the guy to like remember me one yeah. day you know uh, um uh but so i learned discipline from him you know consistency the the thing about owning a brewery that long and i think he bought it in 67 or 69 uh, you know, they've, they've maintained the same core, the same quality 
and like you mentioned, resisted the urge to expand too far and too fast to maintain that quality. And so I learned uh, tempering your, maybe your desires for grander and larger things with maintaining the quality that, um, the best quality you can. Well, I think just to compound off that, like, uh, resisting the uh, temptation to grow to be bigger uh, is bigger necessarily better I think is a question that he would ask himself like he wanted to be greater and is greater going out or is greater turning that energy and putting it back into your business and your people it's a great question you know the holy grail of brewing is consistency Mm. you know making the same thing over and over again and so uh, the more often you do it the the better it gets you know the same thing like making an omelet yeah. Omelets and pilsners, you know? And I'm happy you bring consistency back up because you said he taught you discipline and consistency. Was that just from observing? Uh, wh- how did he teach you discipline and consistency? Well, uh, I suppose it was the company that taught me that, like their culture that taught me that. Not, not necessarily him, but of course he leads the company, so a little bit of, of that. Um, but discipline in terms of when you arrive every day, you know, what you do and how you appear, you know? Uh, like, people look to the leader of a company as as the leader of the culture of that company, and so it's important that that person maintains a certain discipline in how they act, uh, the way they work, how they behave, all these things. So you said that you kind of learned discipline just from the culture of the company. What? And, you know, I, I kind of have some ideas of what where this conversation is going to go, but I want you to say it first. Um, how did they create that culture and how do they maintain that culture? What do you think the secret to maintaining that culture is over the years? Uh, do you think you picked up on anything while you were there as to how to do that? Well, I suppose strong core values is a very strong way to a very good way to maintain culture. Um, consistently executing that uh, team building, you know, spending time together as a family and then never taking your eye off the ball. Um Every little detail, no matter how small, is worth paying attention to. This game is a game of details. Same thing in the restaurant world. So you said uh, having the solid core values, or sorry, having those solid core values. How did how did we everybody know that those were the values, and that's how you were supposed to show up every day? I suppose it might be part of the interview process. Uh, I got interviewed by it was uh, six or eight people at one time. And it was all the original employees that helped Mr. Maytag open the brewery in the 60s. They're all still there, or at least they were when I got hired. And, uh, and they ask you just all sorts of questions. It was quite the grilling. Uh, I was incredibly nervous. Yeah. And, um, and they kind of set the tone right there. So know? they hire for culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you, can, you can teach skills, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that came from the story, too, is you, you. whenever I kept asking you about how they maintain this discipline and this consistency, you kept bringing it back to Fritz himself. And I think that's where the secret lies. It trickles from the top down. And he had consistency. He had a routine. He had disciplines. He was there at 630 every day with the, you know, the coffee and the newspaper. Like He had a routine, and he was setting the pace. He was setting the standard. Is that safe to say? Um, yep. Definitely. Cool. Anything else that's worth bringing to the surface at this time or during your time at Mate or uh, at Anchor Brewing Company? I had this really funny story that happened. Uh, you know, every Christmas party, um, they, uh, Mr. Maytag if you, holds court next to a wheel of Maytag blue cheese. Okay. You know, uh, and uh, if you want to say hi to him, you know, you want to introduce your, your, your girlfriend or whatever to him, he, you got he go over to him and he hands you a piece of cheese, expects you to kind of eat it while you're talking to him. And I have this really like, <laughs> gag reflex to blue cheese and so I, I, <laughs> I walked up to him and I was like Mr. Maytag this is my girlfriend and um, he hands me some blue cheese and I kind of actively I think he saw me kind of gag a little bit and yeah, grimace <laughs> it, it did not go over well um, 
but uh, he's a lovely man. And I really hope one day he'll come uh, see the brewer's table. Nice. Um, beautiful. So let's move on. Uh, you, you, why eventually leave? What was the reason for leaving? Uh, you the girlfriend. Was that what it was? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, my sister had moved to Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, with her two kids, and uh, I knew there was a great beer culture there. And so I thought, you know, well, uh, the Bay Area is really expensive to live in, you know. It's true. And so I uh, t- took the opportunity to move to Fort Collins and lived there for about a year and a half before moving to Austin. Okay. And any big lessons working for Belgian new comp- or New Belgium Brewing Company? New Belgium is such an amazing corporate culture. Uh, employee-owned, alternatively powered. A, a source for good in, in the world. And, and that was really a powerful influence for me. Uh, no matter how brief of a time I was there, uh, I'll for, I'm forever grateful for it. Uh, it taught me a lot about how I wanted our corporate culture to sort of be here now at uh, my place. Get specific. How did it teach you? What, in what way did it influence you? What did you pull from that experience? Very egalitarian. You know, uh, uh, emplo- uh, New Belgium is employee-owned. Uh, so everyone has their their input, and input's very valued because we're all part of the same collective ownership group. Um, the desire to be minimal impact, and so New Belgium being alternatively powered in every respect uh, through wind, solar, methane, uh, all the different ways you can can besides coal and nuclear power. Uh, it taught me a lot about being a good steward of the environment, something we also do here, and uh, the spirit of innovation is really strong there. There's a lot of cool projects always happening, uh, and that's also very influential. Yeah, and I love what's happening right now. Part of the mission of this podcast is to to make an example of not just my my guests, their knowledge and their story, but also their values. And you went and you worked for some great companies, and they and just from working from these companies, allowing yourself to be influenced by these companies, you brought that, and you're applying it to your business today. And I'm hoping to have that same effect on my listeners, where they're listening to these people and the things and how they influenced you and, and how you are, are choosing to make decisions in your business today because of the influence of those mentors in your life. So hopefully you are doing the same to my listeners right now, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Hopefully. Yeah, man. Uh, any other key lessons that you, you pulled from new brewing company or new Belgian brewing company? I'm not sure why I'm struggling to say that so much. Uh, that's worth diving into. Mm, not that I can think of off the top of my head. So why'd you leave? Uh, the opportunity came to move to Austin. That's right. Uh, Your buddy th- called you back, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had two choices. One was to go to Vail and help a friend of mine open a brewery. There, a guy I worked with at Anchor that's uh, now been open for seven or eight years. Or move to Austin. And I'd never been to Austin before. And so I took a trip down here and I saw my buddy's brewery that had the grand opening. And I said, like, I'm moving here. Like, I, I will be your first employee. And... Uh, like I'm your guy. What made what was it about Austin and this brewery that made you so sure? Austin is a really special place. Uh, it's got a really unique place in culture, it seems. And and in 2010, uh, and up until now, it's the fastest growing city in America. It's just a, a serious food scene here. The beer scene was beginning to develop. Uh, the tech scene is really strong. And um, you saw opportunity. I saw yeah, saw a definite opportunity. And at the time. Uh, the, the brewing community was super small. Uh, Thirsty Planet was, I believe, the 11th brewery in the entire state. In the entire state. That sounds like a turbo prop. I know planes. Okay. <laughs> Figure I'd let it pass. So <laughs> you're saying that, the, say that statement one more time just in case it was hard to hear you. 
that about the the state of um, the breweries. You're saying that it was not yeah. In, in 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 2010, uh, there were about a dozen breweries, a dozen craft breweries in the in the whole state, and uh, and right now, eight years, nine years later, there's about 300. Wow. So. Basically, like you knew that this was going to be a place to scale if you wanted to maybe start your own business. What is that? I, I hate putting words or thoughts into people's. I wasn't even thinking about. I, I never had the entrepreneurial bug uh, until a few years later, but I, I, I saw it as a great opportunity to help develop beer culture and uh, and to be a part of a scene that was blooming versus one that had bloomed and it was strong. You know, it's a okay. chance to influence mm. the scene and. Uh, I guess part of me has a natural like desire to help lead things, and uh, I found the opportunity and and dove into it uh, with full enthusiasm. So, what was your role at New Belgium Brewing Company? I'm, I'm curious. Were you oh just a packaging okay. dude, just like putting cardboard on conveyor belts? So, this things. is kind of again your first experience uh, into uh, management. When well, you were managing, when you got fired. Right. Yeah, and after so that, maybe not your first. No, it's or, okay to get. Everyone should get fired uh, at least good. a few times in their yeah. life. It should, you know, it's uh, it's good to get a kick in the ass every once in a while. Uh, but after that, I didn't do any sort of management stuff. I I, I worked, you know, uh, hourly jobs at breweries and wineries until, until coming back to Austin. Until coming back to Austin, in which case I was still like I was an employee, you know, at uh, both uh, Thirsty Planet and then Salt and Time. What what role were you when you? When you uh, every role I could possibly do. Uh, like at Thirsty Planet, I, I brewed beer, I ran the tap room, delivered beer, sold beer, cleaned the bathrooms, like everything I could so you're, do. You were still a worker bee at this point. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then when I uh, left Thirsty Planet, went to Salt and Time, I, I was the first front of house employee, developed the beer program, you know, uh, all the different stuff I could do to learn the business. Because at that point, I knew a business plan was in my future. Okay, so um, I'm one thing that has me curious uh, before moving on to Salt and Time, because I think there's probably a lot we can pull from that experience. Because this is when you start really kind of influencing the operation uh, as a, a decision maker maybe uh, taking control of the, the beer menu and things like that but uh, what was it about your you that made your friend or your old your I mean maybe still your friend to this day but you got fired from this person and then he calls you back so there's gonna be something going on with you that makes you unique enough that you can't be so much of an asshole <laughs> that people are willing to call you back so what was going what, I'm, I'm curious about that dynamic uh, I'm kind of curious too uh, but uh, I was very kismet, maybe. You know, what's the word? Kismet. What's what's that? Uh, mean? Meant though? to be. Okay. You know, um, kind of a strong believer in the universe providing a, a certain path if you're open to it. Um, call it God or the universe or whatever. You know, uh, the the path was laid out in front of me for some reason, and I grabbed it with every like ounce of strength. Okay. Interesting. So um, you you get this. You take this job at Salt and Time. Now you're you're the first front of house hire. Uh, you're developing the, the the menu, the beer program. Were you at all a leader or a part of the management leadership team at this location? Uh, we didn't have like it was the owner that kind of was the manager, and uh, and I just did everything else, else I could. Two like one, there are two owners. One was the head butcher. The other kind of ran the restaurant side. Uh, named Ben Runkle and Brian Butler, two of the best dudes on earth, and. Um, and they kind of let me uh, help shape the the way the restaurant portion and the beer bar portion ran. So, what made these dudes some of the best dudes? What was it about them that made them? So uh, they they believed in me. Mm. Uh, they were very talented in their fields and were eager to share that knowledge, which I really appreciate because I'm a really curious guy. And they also didn't mind that I 
was working on my business plan and actively talked about what I was doing next as I worked there because they knew that uh, I, when I was there, I gave every effort to make sure that Salt and Time was successful um, while I had my own designs. And, and, and they knew it. They, they knew it, too. I was very open up front with them. So the, you said they believed in you. Yep. Uh, reflecting back at that time, knowing that they believed in you, how did that influence you, knowing that somebody believed in you? Well, it's a really humbling thing when when someone puts faith in you, and especially when you deliver on that. Uh, I did as good of a job as I could do for them, and they were appreciative of that. And so it, it, uh, gratitude is a really powerful thing. Basically what I'm trying to get at, I'm dancing around it, the, the power of taking the time just to believe in your people and the impact, the influence that believing in your people will have on your own business when you let people go and you give them that trust. Well, I find that um, one of the most powerful things that you can do in life is to is to give people a sense of ownership. Uh, when they take that pride in their job, like like they own that job or they own that part of the business, uh, there's nothing like it. Yeah. And I think the other thing I pull from this too is that uh, I think we get defensive. A lot of people are defensive. They, they, they see people as property. They see people as tools and resources. And when that, that tool or resource starts taking an interest in doing their own thing, they say, hey, like you're on my time right now. Like I'm paying you. Like focus on me. Focus on my business. But that, that mentality is so self-defeating because I mean – I don't like you, you know where I'm going with that? Like I want you, you're, you're hearing my words. Take it from there. You know, when you pay someone to do a job, you want them to be totally focused on the job that you're doing. And now as an employer, I, I see the other side of that. Uh, but you know, I've had a few people come to me that work for me that, uh, have the desire to open their own business one day. And, and they've asked me for advice and I am always happy to give why, it. why give advice or, yeah. uh, because it's up to, it's up to us if we want to change culture and if you want to like try to be uh, have a positive effect on the industry and the people around you, then you need to give them your best energies. You need to uh, try to put forward and give them the best guide that you can be to help them uh, succeed. That's kind of the um, whole idea of uh, like a mentor, you know, basically if I didn't have people that taught me how to write a business plan, that helped me along the way. There's, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't yeah. have realized my dream. Yeah, and that's the other variable of of, the, of this part of your story is you went there with the intent to learn. And I think a lot of people don't ever take that initiative to push the envelope to say, "Hey, to ask questions, to to be there, and to make the most of your time when people are there that can teach you all about the business." And you knew that I can make the most of this time. I can ask questions. I can I can grow as a professional. At it was salt and time. It was a very good experience. Uh, it, it was it was fun to learn. It was fun to grow, and, uh, and I was sad to leave. You said you went here to learn. That was part of the reason why you were there, and you took the advantage of it. What what did you learn? Uh, we kind of identified some of the values you picked up from the gentlemen that were leading you. But what did you, what did you learn about business working for Salt and Time? Oh man, um, the really boring stuff. Like what? Uh, linens, for example. You know, like. Uh, the, the cost of everyday uh, maintenance of like just the, the mechanics of running a restaurant, the little tiny bills, the little things that you can tweak and, and uh, adjust to make sure that it's a profitable 
enterprise. You know, uh, they they always say this this uh, this industry is a is a game of inches, and that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, a, a, across the uh, you know hundreds of different things we have to pay for to make this business run, everything from toilet paper to, to linens to soap, all these things uh, they add up. Trying to find uh, the ways to cut things where you can to make things more efficient. That was a definite yeah, it's, uh, learning it's, experience. It's the L part of the P and L, right? <laughs> and I think a lot of people get so focused on the P part, but really, you get a you know if you if you can focus on just you know blocking the the bl- or stop the bleeding, right, and plug the holes, then that's another way to to stay or to, to maintain a, a healthy ecosystem in your business. Um, any specifics you learned um, that you, you you took from that experience from that business that that you can share with my listeners? I suppose. The uh, need to offer something compelling and different. Uh, you know, Salt and Time was at the time the only whole animal butcher shop in town. They did all their own charcuterie. Uh, so that's different. No one else is doing that, you know. And then, then you try to, you know, everyone drinks beer. But what kind of beers can you offer that are different? Like, mm. how can you differentiate yourself? That's something that uh, I learned there. Was, Why is it so important to be different? Because in a city with a thousand things... Be the thousandth and one that you know that stands out, mm-hmm. uh, and so like we'll get into it when we talk about the, the, what we do here. Uh, everything we do here is meant to be different because you you got to find some way to stand out. There's so much noise out there, you got to stand out where you can. Yeah, it's it's. I'm not surprised that I'm hearing this from you because you were recommended to me uh, by uh, Chef Leroy, whose tagline in our episode was "Don't be better, be different." Oh, you hear that? Evan, he called you a chef. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but, you know, I'm not surprised because you, you have that same ethos. You have that same uh, realization that uh, if you're going to do something, don't try to be like everybody else that's doing it because you have to compete with all those people already doing it. Go be unique. Go do that one thing that nobody else is doing. Why is that so powerful? What happens when you do that? Well, you uh, forge new ground. Mm. You you blaze a, 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 a new path. Mm. Uh, you're an explorer. You know, it's it's exciting. Okay, I dig it. Anything else worth bringing to the surface during this time of your come up, the mentors you had, the, the lessons you learned that that sets you up for success going into your own business? Networking, the uh, knowing as many people as possible. You know, uh, when it comes time to raise money for your own project, that's crucial. Mm, yep. Um, how did you? become a better networker give us a, a a nugget on i'm a naturally social creature i i, I tend to i'm just a talkative guy and I, and I love learning about people and and what they do and uh and so i've never been shy about introducing myself to anybody that i think i can learn from mm. or uh it's just i'm not a, i'm not a shy person i've done a lot of theater so I, i'm very comfortable in front of people and the uh craft beer community especially in Austin, is really close and very tight. And uh, even though we've grown quite a bit, uh, I, I still know I can call anybody for nearly any favor that's needed and, uh, and it would be reciprocated. So here's the key thing I just pulled from that. When you started, when I asked you about advice on networking, you didn't say go out and tell as many people about you. You started with, I'm really curious about other people. 
When you take an interest in other people, that's the best way for them to take an interest in you. Don't do it selfishly. You know, don't take an interest in them hoping they're going to take an interest in you, but really just be naturally curious and you'll, you'll be amazed at the doors that open. Amen. It's great stuff. All right, man, we got to dive into your story, but before, your story of opening your own place. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurants hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. All right, we're back and we're just about to get into how you made your vision for Brewer's Table come into uh, reality. So from my research, it sounded like your vision really started to develop. Well, you already mentioned it. You're working on your business plan, uh, asking these guys, asking these guys questions. They saw that you're working on it. Um, when did you first have the idea? Well, uh, the idea came to me um, in about 2013 you started to see this really strong trajectory in Austin with uh, restaurants. There were James Beard nominated restaurants and chefs every year, which there hadn't been prior. The food scene was really developing. At the same time, some laws changed in Texas that allowed the breweries to uh, expand their presence. And so you had this restaurant scene and this brewery scene in two very strong trajectories. But you just didn't see anybody taking uh, an approach that was different. You know, there's... uh, there, uh, pizza and beer comes to mind a lot. A beautiful formula. It ain't broke by any means, <laughs> yeah. but uh, that's what's being done. And so I wanted to find a way to express the beer and food experience in a different way. So you basically were developing a unique selling proposition from day one. You knew if you were to open business, your own business, you were going to be different. Why is this? I think we, we kind of meshed out why it's so important to be di- different. Um, so how did you start making it happen? Like what was like when you, when you had the vision, like what was, how did you map out the, the route to get there? Well, first uh, I needed to start with the general idea. Uh, and in 2013, uh, I had left thirsty planet because I, I wanted to, I know I wanted to pursue my own thing. So, like, push yourself, push yourself off the dock. Yeah. And I was sitting behind Franklin Barbecue, which is a barbecue place here in town, um, owned by a guy named Aaron Franklin. And he had just been named by Bon Appetit as the uh, best barbecue in America. You know, had lines around the block, still does. Yeah. And I was, he's been a buddy of mine, and, and uh, I'm very fortunate that whenever I go there, I get to sit, like, at his little just picnic table behind the restaurant. It's just this little shitty picnic table covered in grease. But there's a line of people around the block you know, and it kind of felt like a chef's table. And, uh, and I started to think like, but I'm a beer guy. Like there's all sorts of chef's tables. Like where, where's a brewer's table? Like what's the brewer's table like, mm. you know? And that's why we're called the brewer's table. I'm very particular about the, the, I love it uh, on that. And so, okay. Like 
got a name, you know, the brewer's table. Like, what's that going to be? Uh, I'm a beer guy, so it's going to have a brewery. And but you got it. I grew up in a restaurant family, and uh, so it's going to be food too. So we're okay. It's going to be restaurant and brewery. Now, how do we do that and differentiate everything? And I was looking around Franklin and smelling all this smoke, and I'm like, wood. Wood's how we do it. Wood is the blanket, the tie that binds. And uh, so I started to think, okay, how can we do wood in beer, but not, you know, I, I need to turn around beer quickly. You don't want to let it sit for a year. You want to you want to turn and burn these tanks, you know, on-premise consumption. So I, I was kind of thinking about my time at Anchor and the history of beer. And it was only in the early 20th century that stainless steel became the uh, the the way that beer is, you know, fermented for the most part. So what was it like for the past 9,000 years, you know? It wouldn't in stainless steel. It would have been done in wood mm. or clay or concrete uh, or amphoras, you know that kind of thing. But definitely not stainless steel. So I knew that wood would be something we could do. Uh, and so wood fermentation kind of settled on that. Like we're going to do an all wood fermentation brewery. And then you think, how do you tie that to the food in a, in a way? And so uh, wood fire, you know, cook everything over wood, wood and its influence on food and drink was kind of the um, overarching initial concept and then you think all right we have this top uh, this top layer of the onion like what's the next layer down like how what's the next part of it and then you start to think that uh this old saying to me or came that uh to me that monks have said for a long time that beer is liquid bread i started to really think about that like beer is liquid bread what does that mean you know uh and that's basically the same things that are in bread you take water yeast and wheat and treat it one way you have beer the other way you have bread and like that that concept kind of blew my mind you know it's like like, beer is like bread but without the wheat or the flour it's the same basic (laughs) energy and ingredients but goes through this magical process of fermentation yeah and it got me thinking like what else could be done with that idea you know what else can we do when we when we when a chef realizes that that brewing beer is like cooking and when a brewer realizes that uh, you can use all these different ingredients in the in the beer. When those two things realize that they're the same thing, the pantry gets exponentially larger in what you what you not only can use but what you can do, and what you can do with each other's byproducts. And that not only has the effect of enhancing creativity, but the benefit of minimizing waste because you're using everything twice. Okay, some some things I I pulled from that which I really enjoyed. Um, you mentioned the importance of on-premise consumption, and how, I'm curious how does that play into the bottom line and the business model? Why is that so important? Well, you know, to make a business profitable, you need to make the most off of. You need to make a, a good amount of margin percentage or margin dollars on your items, and so it all kind of goes down to the cost of goods sold, cogs, and so um, you know your food should ideally be you know thirty percent. 30% food cost. That's kind of what you're shooting for. Labor, about the same. Um, when you serve a draft beer, like someone else's keg at a, at a restaurant or a bar, you're looking at 25% or so. Uh, but when you, when you brew your own beer, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be uncommon to see between 5 and 8%. Gotcha. And so when you brew your own beer on site, it's, uh, it can be profitable if you do it right, if you produce enough and you move it as quickly as you can. So... Um, 
basically but, you're removing pieces of the puzzle uh, when you're serving it from your from your 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 barrels to your guests. There's one person that's involved with making that transition happen, right? Like you're moving it from the the, the actual barrel to the, the the draft, and you don't have uh, distribution, you don't have the middleman, you don't have all these other variables that add costs. Exactly, because once the beer leaves these walls, you're out thirty percent at least. Okay, did I cut you short there? It looked like I might have cut you short. I nope. apologize. If I did. Nope. Uh, so if you choose to you know move your beer out, a distributor is going to charge you roughly thirty percent. Uh, on that, so you need to produce even more to make that margin. Up. So, so your focus is on premise because that's where your biggest margin is. It's on premise because uh, you know we don't take food off premise. You know we serve beer. On, it, I, I want you to come here. Uh, we're providing an experience here. Gotcha. And so I have no interest in serving beer off site. We're about to start selling it to go uh, in crowlers, but uh, I, I don't really care to have it anywhere other than these four walls. So. Also, you kind of hovered over the Aaron Franklin's influence. You mentioned him, his influence having a big part on, on who you are today and what you are today. How did he influence you? That's a great question. Uh, I think there's something really special about barbecue. Uh, you take salt and pepper, smoke, and thyme, and you take a brisket, and you put those ingredients together, and, and it can either be uh, something good or, or something like mind-blowing. And what, what is it that makes it mind-blowing over just good? Because you can give two people the same exact ingredients, and one's going to be better than the other. And I, I think that part of that is just natural, honest-to-God energy. And Aaron is one of, has one of the best energies you're ever going to find of anybody anywhere. Uh, he's, he's relentlessly positive and has always been a good friend. And so I think there's something really special about him personally that, uh, that creates some of the world's best cuisine. And, and in fact, he's since then been the only... Uh, Pitmaster, and he hates that word, pitmaster, uh, or chef. He doesn't like to be called that either. But to win the James Beard Award for uh, outstanding chef, yeah, that's amazing. Um, what about business? Did you pick up any? Did he, te- did he have any influence on, or, or coach you, or, or advise you on anything business or he, branding? He, he advised me to do everything cheaper, <laughs> which is a good advice. You know, uh, I did not follow that advice, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but he he does everything himself. Which that definitely inspired me. I, I try to do as many things myself as I can because you learn more that way. Uh, staying positive is always a, a lesson I learned from him. Like he's always smiling. He's always got a, a big smile on his face. Gives you a hug. He's just such a great dude. And and uh, and people follow that. Yeah. You know, I, I certainly follow him. You know what's funny? You mentioned um, that he his advice to you is to stay cheap, which is funny coming from somebody who is known for having the best quality best quality product in the nation regarding barbecue so you don't get become the best quality by being cheap oh i didn't mean cheap with ingredients i, I know uh, and i think that's the point that i'm trying to make is it's, it's like have you ever heard the the or read the book the, the subtle art of not giving a fuck and no it, but i probably should yeah it's a great book and in that book basically it's, it's it's about giving a fuck about the right things and for him you can you can tell that the right things for him is the energy the relationships and the product that he's putting out not necessarily the building or the 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 things that the the vehicles that will help you get there, but that giving a fuck about the right things is kind of what I, what I'm thinking of listening to you talk. About that's it. a that's a very good way to put it. Yeah, yep. he 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 cares about the right things. He takes really good care of his employees, and uh, is really focused on quality. Uh, they haven't they don't change what they do there. They do what they do, and they've been doing it since they opened. Yeah, and there might be an occasional like new thing that pops up, but that is a rarity. They focus on doing everything they do perfect every day. Mm. So bringing it back to you, uh, you, the other thing I I picked up from you is uh, 
this byproduct of, of trying to use what you have and stretch it as far as possible, reusing, right? Um, how has that influenced your operation? I'm curious. Dive, dive deeper into that. Well, um, you know, as I mentioned, with the having a thorough integration of beer and food, having that integration be through the byproducts, systems, and methods that they, the, the two share between the brewery and the kitchen. And so uh, I, I remember in, in Oklahoma, when I was growing up there, Oklahoma was one of the last three, two states to produce, you know, every beer you made on site for a brewery had to be 3.2%. And uh, at the time I was really frustrated by that because it felt to me like restricting cre- creativity, mm-hmm. like painting a picture with half the colors in your, in your palette. But as I look back on it years later, I realized that when you're given constraints is when creativity is forced to thrive. There's no reason a picture can't be just as beautiful with those colors that are available to you. All it takes is imagination and creativity and, uh, and figuring it out. And so taking that same idea, when you're given all things you have in a kitchen and all things you have in a brewery, and me as the painter, having my chef and my brewer given that direction, uh, imagination and creativity thrive when you're given proper constraints. Mm. You know, you need to set up a structure. And, uh, and inside of that structure, create anything you want. So you're saying by uh, putting limitations on your people, on the creative process, you're actually enhancing creativity because it forces people to get outside the box. Yeah, I want to hope so. Yeah. Uh, interesting. That's a cool angle. Um, so what else? Just keep going. Like, What else has made – how did you make this happen? I mean, where did you get the money? Get into some of that stuff. How did you actually pull this together? So in um – 2013, I quite literally Googled business plan. Like, what does one look like? You know, yeah. start with a table of contents and go on from there. And I didn't know what I was doing. I knew I just had this idea, this, this concept. And so I, I figured out, uh, I had a friend who did branding design. He did, did a logo for me. I put this business plan together. And uh, uh, then I was working at the bar at Salton Time, and one day this guy came back in fresh from Afghanistan, uh, an army veteran. He was working for Blackwater at the time, or whatever they called themselves at the, at the year. And he was just back, and I was telling him about this business plan that I had. And, of course, I'm a veteran, and we kind of had that in common. And uh, I was saying it's going to be this next-level food and beer experience, like East Austin. I had just found this building, and it's like I, all I need is this, like I just need someone to help me get started. And he wrote a $50,000 check right there over the bar. My very wow. first investor. And uh, 45000 of that fifty went to secure the lease in this building. And then I had eight months to figure it out. I have $5,000 left in the bank. <laughs> and um, after that, I got a second $50,000 check. And then a third. And then I met my partner, uh, uh, Ali Subzaveri, who runs a local investment group, who's behind a couple uh, well-known Austin brands. And he helped me develop the financial model to then go out and do a crowdfunding project. And we did uh, uh, through the Jobs Act that passed in 2010. Um, it allowed for crowdfunding from unaccredited investors. And so uh, we went on this platform called NextSeed. And we did, uh, you could raise anywhere from 100000 to a $1 million per LLC per year. We chose to set our target at $250,000. Uh, with a maximum, and that's per- after the one hundred and fifty thousand you already obtained. Yeah. Okay. Um, we had uh, we set it for a two hundred and fifty minimum, three hundred maximum, 
uh, and we had 55 days from the time we pressed go. So I had a friend of mine make a video for me. It was a drone video of me walking through my empty building and talking about what I wanted the concept to be. Had some flashy animation from my architect. Uh, you can see it at nextseed.com. Search for the brewer's table. Uh, I look terrible in it, but it's still a decent video. And um, we ended up raising $300,000 in, I think it was 44 days from 191 people. And I love the idea of crowdfunding in a way because it provides people with an incentive to pay attention to your concept. Not only are they invested monetarily, they're invested emotionally. So you have that many more people in your community that really believe in the, in the project. So uh, the crowdfunding thing went through. And, uh, and then we began to apply for an SBA loan. As a veteran, you get uh, certain you know, tax breaks on SBA loans. So we wanted to go through that. The flip side is it takes forever for it to happen. Uh, it took about eight months of work to get this loan to a certain point, at which point uh, when I felt comfortable, we were about to close the loan and begin construction. I just hired my chef and brewer. Uh, the loan was pulled out from under us by the bank. Now, now I had two employees, a lease on a building, and no loan in sight. How does that happen? How do you just get a loan pulled out from underneath you? Uh, the bank pulled out from the Austin market, and uh, it, I, I could, I've never been more furious, uh, oh but it's what happened. And as it turns out, uh, as the story goes on, it ended up being something fortuitous, I suppose. So the loan was pulled out from under, underneath us and we didn't know what to do. So we started doing pop-ups and, uh, we did a, uh, we went to New York. We did a pop-up in Brooklyn at the museum of food and drink. We went to my old employer, New Belgium. We did a pop-up on election night, 2016. how did you make these things happen? Uh, well, we had, we had money. I had two employees needed to give them something to do. And we needed to, we, we decided to focus on building the brand and developing test recipes, developing uh, both recipes for food and beer, but more so beginning to create the culture that we were eventually going to you know, develop here. And plus, I made the solemn promise that I really believe uh, still to this day, like when you, when you promise someone employment, like come hell or high water, you are giving them that money because they count on it. Mm. It's really important. It's a promise I give them, one I'm damn determined to keep. And so um, we embarked on our pop-up tour while I reapplied at a second bank for another SBA loan. Fast forward one year and 35 pop-ups later, uh, our loan came through and we began construction. And uh, seven months later, we opened the doors on April 19th, 2018. And now we have uh, 48 um, team members. We are 10 months into it. And... uh, Years cold. So one thing I, I need to know is how did you get the pop-up to generate cash flow for you? What, what was going on there? How, do, how was that a solution? It did not generate cash flow. Okay. It, it, uh, it burned through cash. Uh, it was an investment. Okay. Uh, it was an investment in, in, uh, in culture, recipes, and uh, team building, basically. You know, it, it's, a, it's a decision I, I chose to do. You know, uh, when... You have to find some reason people to come to a pop-up for someone they never heard of before. And uh, ours was like, it's free. Like, just come try it. You know, th- th- there was a couple times we charged something for it, but only like two events that we did did we ever charge any money for them. So how did the pop-up reflect your culture? Uh, that uh, we brewed beers for it and we, we did our, our test dishes. And, uh, and so we basically started with the, just the culture of what we're doing food and beer-wise and the rest of the stuff had to. We actually had to get in the space and so have a team to, to communicate help with that. the brand as far as yeah. going back to wood 
as the source of food, basically. It, it was it was more uh, how you can treat beer and food in the same way. And so uh, the chef began to experiment with curing, you know, fish and hops and uh, hop salt and these different things we do with uh, techniques in the brewery and vice versa. Uh, we did every major food festival in Austin uh, and just trying to basically develop our our book. What was the, what do you mean by your book? Our book of recipes, our book of like ideas. Okay, so you're testing you're testing the concept. Yep, you're, and we're seeing how the theory. we're testing how it's received too. Okay, you know uh, when you tell someone this is a hop cured scallop, like what do they think? You know, like does it taste good? Mm-hmm. Uh, is what we're doing different? And uh, best of all, I mean, again, does it taste good? That's yeah. all that really matters. So you eventually uh, got the you know, the bank pulled out. You eventually got the money. How did that all happen? Did you did I totally miss that when I was being distracted by all the other great stuff you were saying. <laughs> Aww, such a romantic. Um, no, I mean, just banks take forever to apply for loans. I, I had to get uh, Senator John Cornyn, the Texas senator, I had to get his office involved, pushing like a background check through the FBI. And I definitely believe in being the squeaky wheel. I, 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 I will. I'm so like, I was so eager to get this done. It was, it was uh, important. And um, I wasn't afraid to bug anybody I had to bug. Mm-hmm. So, it's hard to believe we're already at 50 minutes of recording time. Uh, I've been loving this conversation, but I want to open it up for you to decide what we talk about. What is near and dear to your heart? What is one thing that you specialize in or an area of, of knowledge where you have really great expertise? Really just drop it on us right now. Yeah, <laughs> no pressure. What a broad question. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you one thing I'm really proud of here uh, is we – about a year, about a year ago, uh, there was a member of the Austin beer community that took his own life. And uh, as a veteran, I've exp- you know that is isn't an uncommon thing. So I'm very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a symptom of the health crisis in America, the mental health crisis in particular. There are a lot of parallels between the hospitality world and the veteran world. Uh, you know, the ease of substance abuse. Long hours that you work, hours away from your family and loved ones, uh, stress. All these things can create a culture which can be somewhat toxic. And so I wanted to figure out a way to begin to address that in even some small way. And so one of the most therapeutic things that I do is I'm not afraid, you know, just like you like to go out and listen to people and their amazing stories. I I actively reach out to mentors in my field and I, I love just to sit with them and, and download things and, um, and learn. Talking is therapeutic. And so I wanted to find a way to have our employees have access to that. And I wanted to have a, basically an in-house therapist, uh, and needed to find a way to create that structure. And so my, my first investor, that guy, Josh, that fellow veteran, suffers from some issues from his uh, his time. But this experience here, the brewer's table, is what he says saved him. Mm. And he's now getting his master's in counseling at Texas State University. And he wanted to be this in-house therapist. He wanted to be there for people to, to talk to. Our entire team, day or night, could you know get a hold of him. He'll meet him for whatever they want to do, you know, uh, a, a beer, throwing axes, reading, a, you know, book the library together, whatever it is a chance for you to be together with someone else that can understand you. And we called it beers and ears. Mm. But then I came across this psychologist at the VA here in town who also works for an organization called the Sims Foundation here in town, which provides mental health care for Austin musicians. 
And he told me that uh, that's a great idea, Jake, but you're basically offering unlicensed medical advice at an alcohol production facility. And like legally speaking, it's kind of a problematic area. So I was like, oh, right, legal stuff, you know? Uh, So I needed to figure out a mechanism to make it legal. And uh, the VA uh, has a big program right now for peer support, uh, basically farming out um, veterans to help other, other veterans. So we wanted to take that basic model and apply it here. So we sent Josh to a seven-day training course to be basically certified in this mentor-mentee relationship with uh, Dr. Adams from the VA, where we are able to offer that program here for no cost uh, to all of our employees. It's the first of its kind. And, uh, and we've had roughly twice the percentage of people that – we also give health insurance to our employees, which is pretty rare. But – uh, of the, all the people that get our health insurance that apply for that, twice that percentage take advantage of this program, which is, I think, pretty awesome. It goes wow. to show you that people really appreciate that having that person to talk to. So I'm really proud of that, you know, like trying to find a way to, uh, to address what is needing to be addressed in a creative and compassionate way. Yes. Um, what was it? You said that it was this experience that, that saved him. You said this experience saved him. What was it about the experience? Did he ever get into detail about what it was about the experience that saved him? I think finding a purpose, mm-hmm. uh, finding something he believed in. And, uh, and I'm very fortunate what he, at least as I believe it goes, what he believed in is is the community that we're creating here. Yeah. And the, uh, you, you literally, as I was asking the question or the, the question was on my, top of my, my tongue, you, you mentioned something else. You, you just said something else that really resonated with me. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was around the, the lines of just the power of creativity in solving problems and being a solu- being a part of the solution, not the problem. I'll dive into that a little bit more. I can't remember exactly how you said it, but it really struck a man with me. Oh man, I already forgot. You know what I'm saying, though, right? Like, it, it, like it's so important to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, and to be creative to, to solve things. Yes, it, it's it's always better to solve a problem than to create one, mm-hmm. and uh, and to try to find a way as as we've been doing to positively affect the culture in a way is uh, I think one of the most important things you can do. Uh, you know, as, as a person, as a as a businessman as a leader in the community is to try to positively affect change, mm. man. Um, one other thing, um, that kind of stood out to me when I was doing my research about you and what you got going on here at the brewer's table is your focus on collaboration and community. Uh, and you know, it's kind of come up t- time and time again, even when starting t- or trying to create your, your vision in, uh, leaning on friends that brought certain assets to the table, skills to the table, the, the designer, uh, going with the Aaron Franklin's for, for your smokers. And what, what is the, the, how has collaboration and focusing on the community served you and helped contribute to your success? Well, I guess I'll start on the first part collaboration. Uh, there are so many good ideas out there and so many brilliant people that if you don't take advantage of, of people's good ideas and, and try to, and try to make the best of them, then you're kind of wasting an opportunity. Uh, everyone has an idea. And you need to be open to those ideas. So collaboration is always really important. Uh, I, you know, as the owner of this company, realize that I don't know uh, everything. You know, you surround yourself with people better than you. uh, And you collaborate together to create the concept. As far as community goes, uh, breweries and restaurants and brew pubs and public houses are, are natural community centers where people can go and eat and drink and feel comfortable with one another where you break down those social barriers and, yeah, and you loosen up, <laughs> yeah. you, you talk, you debate, you argue, you laugh. All these things happen inside of these walls. And so we are 
a de facto community center. And so it's in our best interest to help that community whenever we can. And so hosting local community organizations, uh, we host several school groups. My son goes to school a few blocks from here. We host their PTA. Um, yeah, you're trying to find as many ways to for people to hear our message in a creative and fun way where not only we succeed, but we help them succeed and we do it all together with a cold beer in our hand. Yeah, and also being the outlet for other people's messages, mm-hmm. right? And helping other people who have good messages, make sure those messages are being heard. Absolutely. Um, awesome, man. Uh, so when I started this conversation, we got into a little bit about who you were what, with your first management role and, and how you got fired. And you kind of listed some of the uh, attributes you had back then. Who are you now? How have you transformed? Who am I now? I'm a 38-year-old single father of a four-year-old with nearly 50 employees. Uh, and, uh, I've never felt more at peace. Why? I suppose cause I know where I am and I know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, you know, for the longest time I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who like I was as a person. I didn't know who I was, uh, as a professional person. I, I just, I was very lost. Um, and over the course of time I found my people, I found my tribe and, uh, and, and, that to me is a very peaceful feeling. Uh, you know, the restaurant and brewery business, particularly the restaurant side of it, is very hard. It, it requires a lot of uh, time and energy and, and uh, forced enthusiasm sometimes, uh, and a lot of heartache. But it's very, very difficult. Um, and who I am now is someone who's accepted that, that is uh, moving forward. Uh, uh, who I am, at least hopefully, is a good leader and a good friend and a, and a, and a compassionate person to uh, devote your energies towards. Who I am is a great father to my four-year-old boy, Sawyer, who is uh, the most special thing in the world to me. Uh, I hope who I am is a good partner to my girlfriend, Lucy, who is an amazing uh, teacher, um, and she's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I hope who I am is a dude who continues to push the conversation forward. Yes. Awesome, man. I love this conversation. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors one more time. We'll be back to bust out a quick speed round. Right in time for another beer. Yes. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Stubbornness. What is your biggest weakness? Pride. What is one thing you look for when you're building your team? Enthusiasm. Okay. How do you know when you, I mean, enthusiasm for beer or just what? Life. Okay. Uh, what's the biggest challenge you have today? 
tough one. That is a very tough one. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say uh, controlling labor. Okay. How are you dealing with that? Budgets. All right. Uh, where'd you go to learn about budgets? I'm curious. My partner, Allie. Nice. Good to have partners. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act, a core value. Respect. Mm. What is respect to you? Uh, respect for yourself uh, is primary and respect for others. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So, something that's common within your four walls, not common within the industry. I'm going to go with predictive hospitality, taking thorough notes on guest experiences and making sure that we know what they want before they know they want it. Anticipating needs. Right. Love it. Uh, what is one book to make us a better person or food and beverage operator? One book? Yeah. I'll go uh, – I'll answer that in two, two ways. Uh, uh, for a person, uh, it's this book called uh, Rules for a Night. It's by Ethan Hawke. It's, okay. uh, it's a small little book. You should definitely check it out. It's, it's a wonderful book of parables. And what was your biggest lesson from that book for, before dropping the next one on us? Um, to be a good person. Mm. What's the second book? Professionally, I'd have to go with uh, Brewing Up a Business by Sam Calagione. What was the biggest lesson from that book? Uh, that you have to persevere through difficult obstacles. Was that the founder of Dogfish Head? It is. Yes. Uh, that book is on my shelf. I need to read it. Awesome. All right. The next question. Uh, what is one thing you believe restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Hmm. I'm going to go with maintaining enthusiasm. You know, this is a grind and it happens every day. And mm-hmm. so it's easy to lose focus on the bigger picture, seeing the forest through the trees, so to speak. And when that, when that wears you down, when that, when that, you know, when you get worn, it reflects, it shows, and you got to be that, that North star. They got to be that shining light. Right. I, I, I say the North star thing all the time. It's exactly right. Yeah. And it's hard though. It's, you're making a good point. It's really hard to show up being mindful of the energy that you're projecting onto your team. Like, are you that same shining North star? Are you starting to dim? Are you starting to get worn? Are you starting to get dull? Like you got to be mindful of that stuff. It's super important. Um, all right. What is one technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge influence on operations, communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Uh, we do tablet, uh, table-side tablet service, and that's really helpful because it's very fast. Who are uh, you using for that? Toast. Okay. Why did you decide on Toast? Uh, because they offer a tablet service, and it has a lot of uh, really great functionality, and um, it's elegant. Okay. So what, what has been the biggest impact of having a tablet or a table-side ordering system? Well, on a functional uh, side of things, you know, when you sign a check table side, tables tend to linger less, mm-hmm. you know, instead of going to a terminal and processing a check and putting it back. So you can turn over tables just a wee bit faster, which is very helpful. And, uh, and secondly, uh, you know, as a service, they're taking orders, say, on like a 10 top, you know, you can go through your first three people like, what kind of beers would you like? These three beers, send. And they're, they're already to the bar. So and you're not flat seating a bar or the equivalent of flat seating the bar. Well, the, the idea is that by the time you finish that 10th person, the first beers are already arriving mm. instead of you like waiting to put them all in at one time. Awesome. I love it. All right. This is the last question. Oh, I'm this is so doozy. ready for this. What's the last question? Be ready. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants and your breweries would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom. Three things you know to be true about your success that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces be? 
Be kind. One. Be generous. Two. Be professional. Be kind. Be generous. Be professional. I have loved this conversation, Jake. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. That's how I got connected with you. Who do you respect and admire and believe I, I need to make an example of in Austin? I'm going to go with my friend Josh Hare, who owns Hops and Grain Brewing Company. He's the chairman of the Texas Craft Brewers Guild. And... Uh, one of my best friends on the planet. Josh, I'm coming after you. I would love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how can we connect. What's the best way to follow and keep up to date with what you've got going on? Uh, for us uh, on Instagram at uh, at the Brewer's Table Austin. My, my own personal Instagram is at Beer Evangelist and uh, all the social medias. All right. And I'm not sure what episode number this is. I'll let you know in the show notes. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com, whatever the episode number is, and you'll find a summary of today's discussion over there as well as links to tools and services that were recommended, the books recommended, and how to connect with Josh. Josh. Jake. Sorry. <laughs> Josh. Is a lot of J names out. out there. Yeah. Uh, how to connect with Jake all over there. Again, Jake, thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. Time. I appreciate you coming out. I thank you for your interest. You, Cheers. Cheers. Well, there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. This is episode 590. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 590 for a list of all those tools, services, recommendations, and uh, how to connect with Jake. And again, Jake, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. This was a great conversation. I think the big takeaways for t- for me in today's conversation what was you know first you know existing uh, to serve a greater purpose uh, providing value to your employees and beyond that the big takeaway is you don't have to wait for your building to be built your restaurant to be built your brick and mortar to be built to start developing your brand and culture that happens on day one conception of what you want to create and then and then sharing the story and, and spreading the word by whatever vehicle necessary for Jake they chose pop-ups that's a great way to do it to attract onto yourself what it is you want to do well what whatever the impact it is you want to make on the world you can start today by surrounding yourself with the right people and spreading the word. So what are you waiting for? Uh, get after it. Start making it happen. And just, you know, so many great things came from today's conversation. Thank you again, Jake Maddox. And like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me how I can best serve you. Tell me who you want to hear from. I am listening. Keep those five-star reviews coming. They help so much. Uh, please sign up for my email list and join the conversation uh, that's where we give you behind the scenes of what's coming down the barrel where I'm going to be what the plan is how we're evolving our own brand here at Restaurant Unstoppable and what the future looks like you can stay plugged in if you sign up for the email list and then also please help me support support this mission please join this mission of inspiring empowering and transforming our industry by sharing this podcast with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great all right that's it for today thank you all for sticking around this long and until next time peace out